to, to help you find your way. And they, and they really are. Good job, Larissa. I made her do that. She does not like to talk in front of people. But, but uh, there's some wonderful groups happening. So uh, for those of you that have not been with us, and as a brief reminder to the, those who have, over the past several weeks, we have been uh, talking about and taking a look at Vineyard Values. And I mentioned at the onset of that little mini-series that uh, the Vineyard USA had restated our values and that, uh, the, that that restating provided, I, I felt, an opportunity for us as a local congregation, a part of kind of the, the larger vineyard movement, to hit the refresh button, if you will, and, and take a look at uh, who are we? You know, what, what, who are we as a church? What's our purpose? What are we for? What are we about? What do we do? And uh, so that's what we've been doing over about the last five or six weeks, I believe. I hope that this has been uh, helpful to you. Uh, I hope it's been encouraging. Uh, it encourages me. I've mentioned a few times the, that the values are on the Vineyard USA website that you can look there. There's a description of each. And there have been several articles written corresponding with, with, with each of the five values. It has encouraged me quite a bit to look at that and to read those and to be reminded of, of what we're for, what we're about. And I, I hope it's been encouraging to you. I, I hope maybe it's even actually inspired you a little bit, you know, to, to not only be reminded of those things, but maybe to, to just prayerfully say, okay, God, I, you know, I, I want to I I do those things. I want to be a part of that. It's, it's really easy for us as human beings and as, as followers of Jesus, to, to grow lax, isn't it? To, to get tired, to forget about what we're supposed to be doing, to get caught up in the routine of life. And, and, you know, as Christians and as his followers, as disciples, our hearts and our minds should really be set on, on moving forward, on growing in Christ, on deepening our relationship, on becoming more and more like him along the way. Um, I have been endeavoring now to walk with Jesus for, I'm going to say, almost 40 years. And I, I'm aware there's times when you lose focus. And when you, you do get um, tired or stagnant a little bit. And uh, I hope this has been an opportunity for, for any of us that have maybe been in that place to, to be re-encouraged to move forward in, the, in that journey again. You know, if, if, we, um, if we come together, if I share wonderful things with you, and nothing happens, then we've kind of missed it, haven't we? We failed, really. It's, it's all in vain. Um, I'm always so appreciative when uh, somebody comes up to me, you know, after Sunday or during the week, or I get a little email that says, hey, great, great message Sunday, you know. I, I like that, right? I like that as much as anybody. But at the end of the day, if that doesn't produce fruit in somebody's life, then it doesn't mean anything. We might as well watch a, a good movie, right, and be entertained, because that's really all it is if it's, if it's a good message, but it doesn't produce something in our lives. So, so my hope, you know, as, as we've been going through this, is that as a church, together, we, we would be compelled to, to move forward in our relationship with Jesus. And, and that, I don't mean that as a negative or as an indictment on anybody individually and certainly not on us as a group. I love you guys. I, I've said before, you know, there's no group of people I can think of anywhere that I would rather do this with than you guys. It excites me. 
you know, it excites me when, when Tammy says, hey, we need more help on Thursdays because more and more people are coming to receive food every week and we need people to help do that. It excites me when we pray for kids that are going to go serve at an orphanage. It, it excites me all of the kinds of things that we're about and we're for. And, and I want to I continue in that. I don't think any of us, at least nobody I know, would say, hey, I'm there. I, I'm, I'm, I am a fully mature follower of Jesus. I've got it all down. I know everything I need to know. I do everything I need to do. I live my life to the fullest. The abundant life is embodied in me. Um, if you're there, would you please pray for the rest of us? But my guess is that, that most of us are in process, and we want to we continue in that process. And so that's, that's really just been my hope. Uh, in this series. What, what I want to do tonight is this. I want to go back and summarize what we've gone over in the past few weeks. I want to take a, a brief look at each of the five values once again, hopefully just kind of reinforce what we've talked about. Um, and, and then in conclusion tonight, you know, before we finish, I want to offer one little bit of application, one, one suggestion that we all can do to help us along in that journey. So, so that's the plan, okay? And I'm going to do my best to, to not take very long tonight and, and allow us uh, some time to be able to actually pray for one another uh, at the end of the service. We always try to do that, and sometimes I talk too long and we don't get to, but we'll, we'll try to do that. So the first value we looked at several weeks ago was kingdom theology and practice. And um, according to Jesus, according to Jesus, the kingdom of God is, he said, the pearl of great price, right? Some of you are probably uh, old, some of you old timers, some of you are a little younger, maybe don't remember, but a great movie called City Slickers with Billy Crystal. Anybody remember that? Some of you do, sure, of course. Uh, Billy Crystal and, and his friends are kind of, you know, yuppie corporate types, bored with life, bored with their jobs, bored with their marriages, and so they decide they want to do something exciting, and they're going to go on a cattle drive. So they go on this cattle drive, and there's an old, crusty old cowboy named Curly, which that's not a crusty old cowboy name, but that was his name nonetheless. And Curly becomes a little bit of a, of a sage, kind of a, a, a wise old man and a mentor to Billy Crystal's character on this, this journey. And at one point, he, he, uh, Billy Crystal goes to him and says, so, so what is it? What's the secret? You know, how, do you, how do you live life? What do you do? And he, and he, he holds up a finger and he says, you've got to focus on the one. And uh, so he, he says, well, what, what, what is that one thing? And uh, Curly doesn't tell him. He says, you've got to find out what the one thing is. Well, Jesus told us what the one thing is. The kingdom of God really is that one thing. The kingdom of God, he said, is that thing that's worth giving up everything else you have to get. Whatever you've got, what, whatever you can get, whatever life means to you, it, 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 it's, it's nothing compared to the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God really is uh, a precious and a powerful understanding and reality for us. And, and uh, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And, and that, that prayer really is is a prayer for that one day future reality a new heaven and a new earth 
the purpose and the plan of God fully realized in life. It's a prayer for, for a little bit of that plan to, to be manifest in whatever situation we're praying for today. So whether you're praying for someone who's sick, whether you're praying for uh, a decision that you have to make, or you're praying for a, a financial hardship, whatever it is, you're saying, Lord God, would you cause your kingdom to come to bear that, that perfect purpose and perfect plan you have that one day will be full, would you cause just a little bit of that to take place in this situation today? That's what we're praying for when we pray for God's kingdom to come, for His will to be done. I, I have to think that uh, maybe you guys are like me in this sense that Sometimes we pray and it seems as though the response we're hoping for and asking for doesn't happen in the time and in the way that we think it will. Anybody ever have that experience? I I, I have on a few occasions. And it it can be challenging to continue to pray. But I have to believe if, if that's how Jesus taught us to pray, that that wasn't a cruel joke. That he believed that those things could really happen. That he really believed that if, if we sought him out and we asked for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, that it, it, could, it could come and it could be done. And so we, we press in and we continue to pray for the kingdom of God. We continue to, to ask God to bring his kingdom into our lives and into the lives of those around us day in and day out. And to trust in him that, the, that those things really will take place. So the, the kingdom... Uh, of God, kingdom theology, kingdom practice are things that we will continue to look at uh, in the weeks, months, I'm assuming years ahead because I think it's something that we can always grow in, that we can deepen our understanding. And we want to we deepen not only our theology of the kingdom, our understanding of it, but our practice of the kingdom as well. And so those are things that we will re- revisit often. Um, the second v- value then that we talked about was culturally relevant ministry. And that, that is the hardest one to say. Uh, it seems like I mess up every time I try to say culturally relevant ministry. But, but what that really means is learning to speak to people in a language that they understand. Learning, learning to speak to people in a language that they understand. It's, it's the ability to differentiate what really is spirit, and, and what is culture? And that's not always easy to do, is it? Because we all live in culture. And so because we live in culture, we, we kind of just sort of have an assumption or an understanding behind us that, well, the way I do things is the right way, right? And sometimes it isn't really a matter of a right way or a wrong way, but the way that we do things is the way that we've, they're done in our culture. When I first started um, working with Vineyard Churches in Nicaragua back in about 2004. On one of my very first trips there, I was with a couple other uh, Vineyard pastors from the U.S. And at the end of one of the worship services, a couple of the guys were commenting, and someone made a comment to the effect that, well, the worship here isn't really Vineyard. And so I said, well, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, we value intimacy in worship. And he goes, it's just so, it's just so, so, so loud and so, so peppy and, and so energetic. And uh, he goes, it's just, it's just not intimate. 
I said, I, I think it is intimate. I, I, I think it's Latin American intimate. I just think that's the way they worship. And I don't think it's any less vineyard than what we experience at home. And, and, and the truth is this, that um, in Latin America, they celebrate. And, and, and man, they, they know how to celebrate. And sometimes the worship, you know, I mean, if you, I just, if you ever think our worship is a little loud, I just want you to go with me to Nicaragua one time because you'll never think that again. I mean, it is cranked up all the time to the max. And, and it really is. It's, it's exuberant and, it, and it's a celebration and it's powerful. And I don't think it's any less intimate. It really is a cultural thing that there's just a celebration happening that, that uh, frankly, I think we could learn something from, from our, our Latin American brothers and sisters in that. Um, but my point is simply that it wasn't an issue of spirit. It really was an issue of culture. And sometimes it's hard to differentiate those, between those two things. Um, here, here's how I would summarize culturally relevant ministry. I would say it's loving people where they are today instead of expecting them to come to where we are to be loved. Loving people where they're at today, instead of expecting them to come to where we are to be loved. Do you identify with that at all? Have you ever caught yourself uh, knowing it's the right thing to do to love a certain person, but expecting them to kind of cross over whatever boundaries or lines or things they need to cross to to get to where you are to love them? And, and I'm, I'm just not sure that's the model of Jesus. I think the model of Jesus was very much to love somebody wherever they are today. We talk about uh, unconditional love and the unconditional love of Jesus. And that's a phrase and a term that I've heard my whole life. And I'm sure many of you have heard. I, I think that term could use a little bit of an update, to be honest. Because I think it's come to, to like so many terms that we are familiar with over time mean something less than what it really means. I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, what if instead of Jesus having unconditional love for people's life, we said Jesus has non-discriminatory love in people's lives. He's non-discriminatory in in how he loves and in who he loves. Are you a black person? Jesus loves you. In Jesus, I love you. Are you a poor person? Are you an immigrant to this country? Jesus loves you, and I love you. Are you a gay person? Are you a Muslim or a Buddhist? Because if you are, Jesus loves you, and I love you too. He's non-discriminatory in how he loves people. We, um, when we talked about culturally relevant ministry, I I talked a little bit about some of the stereotypes that people have of Christians, of the church. And, uh, you know, I said, if you ask people, you know, what are Christians like, they're hypocritical, they're critical, they're judgmental, they can be divisive. And and those things don't, we don't like that when we hear those things and we go, oh, we're not really that way. But I thought, wouldn't, wouldn't it be something if we were able to reverse that trend just by being more loving and more caring and more compassionate, what, what if those people that we had opportunity to encounter on any given day and any given month, 
if, if they were approached by a pollster or George Barna or someone like that, and he said to them, what are Christians like? And, and they said, well, the Christians I've met are the most caring people. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what your life is like. They're compassionate and they're, and they're caring and they're loving. And they've always done all they could to help me. I, I believe it's a prayer. It's, it's a hope that that could happen that the church could change. That there could be a day when people in the world say Christians really are the most caring people. That the polls wouldn't show that Christians are hypocritical or judgmental. That they're just caring and loving. That kind of leads us into our uh, third value. The third value was compassionate ministry. And uh, when we talked about compassionate ministry, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, you remember? And we saw that as as much as the pain pain in life is non-discriminatory, anybody realize that? Pain is non-discriminatory. I don't care who you are, where you come from, how much money you got, who your friends are, anything else, bad stuff happens. As much as pain is non-discriminatory, so is the compassion of God non-discriminatory. Once again, Jesus' example and his story of the Good Samaritan was to extend compassion and love to someone uh, who is in need. Not someone who is like me, but anyone who might be in need, no matter how different from me they might be. And, And I think that if you read the story of the Good Samaritan with any understanding less than that, you've missed the point. The point of the story is that Samaritans were a despised people. And Jesus said, who who was his neighbor? The Samaritan was. If you don't get that, you miss the point of the story. It's not just about being a nice person. It's really about being a nice person to whoever might be in need, not just those that are like me. We said that compassion is not simply an emotion. But I want to say tonight, compassion certainly is an emotion. It's not just an emotion, but it is an emotion. There there is something there. There is a feeling. There's a sense. There's something that happens inside you. Whether you express that through tears, whether you express that through some other form of grief, whatever. There there is an emotion that happens. But it's not just the emotion. Compassion is, is an emotion that begins with eyes to see and it ends with hands to help. It's, it's, it's not just feeling something, but it's seeing something, being moved by what you see, and, and then responding to that. And the end of Jesus' story was, go and do likewise. Remember? Now, you, you go and do as that man did. I don't think compassion is a, a natural thing. I don't think that we just have it. I think it grows in us as we are filled with the Spirit of God. And I think the more filled with the Spirit of God we become, the more compassionate we are. And so I, I encourage you to, uh, to do a couple of things. Um, w- one is just allow yourself to be more filled with the Spirit. Just allow yourself to be in that place where uh, you're open to, to God's touch in your own life that you might then have more of Him to be able to extend to others. And then beyond that, I would pray and I would ask God to, to do that. There's a, um, 
a pretty neat little prayer. It's actually a, a big prayer, but one phrase of, of a prayer in Ephesians that says, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. And uh, that's a cool prayer. And, and, and I think that the, the idea that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts is allowing us to see the pain in people's lives. You know, the Good Samaritan, I mean, on, on one hand, the story um, is very clear because here's a guy who's been robbed and beat up. He's left, you know, bloody and naked on the side of the road. So if you see that, you kind of go, he needs help, right? That's pretty obvious. I think we can pray and ask God to enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might see somebody that has an equal amount of need to that person but doesn't look like that. Maybe the need in their life is something that's not quite so visible. Maybe you encounter somebody and you wouldn't notice right away that, that, that they need compassion in that same way. But as you pray for God to enlighten the eyes of your, our hearts, you, you come to an understanding that comes from the Spirit of God that this person needs that same, uh, that same measure of love and, and care, and, and you're able to care for them. So it's just a thought. I, I would encourage you to, to pray and ask God to, to do that in your lives. The fourth of the five values we looked at is uh, reconciling community. And um, this too, as, as all of these values, but as I mentioned on, on the first one there on kingdom theology, is centered in that one day future reality of God's presence. And, and, and that is illustrated for us in Revelation where John writes that every nation, every tribe, every people, every language will be together worshiping before the throne of God. And I think that is just a huge challenge to get from here to there. I think it presents a challenge. All of us have been uh, subject to some measure of tribalism in our own lives. And, And what I mean by that is simply that we have been taught from the youngest age that we are the good guys. And they, whoever they might be, are the bad guys. Cowboy and Indian movies, when you were a little kid, westerns, the cowboys were clearly the good guys. The Indians were clearly the bad guys. Maybe a little later in life you saw some World War II movies. And in World War II, the Americans were clearly the good guys. The Japanese, the Germans were clearly the bad guys. Now, I think Hollywood today has done a fantastic job of changing that. I think uh, what makes a lot of modern-day movies pretty compelling is it's not always clear who the good guy and the bad guy is, right? Batman. Isn't on those latest Batman movies? Aren't they interesting? Because it's like, is he a good guy or a bad guy? I'm not sure. But I think in our own hearts, sometimes it's it's not as easy to overcome some of that thinking. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I would say in my own life over the past five years, this is the area of growth that God's Spirit has ministered to me the most in. That I've I've really come to places over and over and over again where I, I, I've been pressed by God to erase those lines and, and not see other people as the bad guys, but to see them as 
God's children created and loved by him and, and learn to overcome my own fears and, and my own barriers to be able to extend the love of Jesus to people that I might not have at an earlier time in my life. And I, I realized, you know, until I take off my white, red, and blue glasses, if, if that makes sense to you, and begin to see people around me as Jesus sees them, that I am limiting the kingdom of God. And so I think it's a challenge for us to become a reconciling community. I think it will make us uncomfortable to become a reconciling community. I I don't know what all the implications of this are to us as a local church. I don't know what it means, to be honest. I I don't know what, what we might be pressed by God to do at any point in the future. But this is where I'd like to begin, and I'll just throw this out, and we'll move forward together. But I would encourage everyone to prayerfully consider what barriers you might have built up in your life and what can you do to break them down. Are are there barriers that, that have been established culturally that have kept you from being an agent of reconciliation in God's kingdom? And, and how might you break those down? I, I warn you that those kinds of prayers will very often lead you into uncomfortable situations. So I'll give you that little warning. But I encourage you to pray it nonetheless. So then, uh, those are four of the five. And then finally, last week, we talked about experiencing God and, and said, essentially, God is a relational God. And he longs for uh, intimacy with us. He doesn't want us to just know about him. He doesn't want us to just read his book. Now, certainly we should read his book. But he wants more than that. He, he really wants to sit down and chat. He wants to go for a walk. He wants to spend time together. He, he wants to be an active part of our lives day in and day out and all that we do. I shared with you several ways that I've experienced God in my life, and I'd encourage you to try them all. Worship is is a way we can experience God. Fellowship, we talked about small groups tonight. It's a way you can experience God. Creation, serving others, and and, and even even that place of brokenness as uh, we have brokenness in our lives is a way we can experience God. And I encourage you, sometimes when we're in a place of brokenness, We try to shut things off in our life. Turn them on. Open your heart. Allow yourself to to feel that brokenness and invite the presence of God into it and and see what doesn't happen there. Because I think God will meet you in a way that maybe you had not expected. So that's, um, that's it. That's the review. Those are the values of the Vineyard Church, and I'll encourage you one more time to potentially uh, review those on your own and and, and read the descriptions and the articles on the website. Um, Once again, I I hope that we are able to embrace these. Remember, I I made a statement earlier that something's not really a value unless it's valuable. And, And if we don't embrace these and we don't integrate them into our lives, then they're really not our values. And so... 
my, my goal, again, was not simply just good teaching, but, but really that these things would be integrated into the fabric of community. That when we think about what does it mean to be a part of this church, that these are the things that we would think about and that we would have examples of these things at our fingertips and that we could, we could say, this is, this is what our church is like. This is what it's about. This is what we're for. This is what we do. This is, this, this is who we are. So, so what I want to do now, just to close, in a couple more minutes, we'll just take a, a few minutes and we'll pray, is I want to share with you one thing, not the one thing, but one thing, um, that we can do to help this process, okay? One little thing that anybody in this room could do that will move you forward in not only these values, but in, in your understanding and your relationship of who God is and what he's all about. So it's so simple, it's actually profound. It's amazing. And, and I didn't make this up, so I'll say that. It's so simple, it's profound. I want to give you one sentence that can change your life, all right? Seven little words that if you apply this sentence, these seven words to your life, I guarantee, money back guarantee, it will revolutionize your relationship with God. It will, it will change significant things about how you understand who God is and his ability to work in your lives. Are you ready? Are you curious? Can I pray for you right now? If you, um, if you don't remember anything else about this whole series, try to remember that. Can I pray for you right now? The application is limitless. We can make application of that here at church. A few weeks ago, you know, my, uh, my dad's been in the hospital for a month now. It's been challenging. Just before service, I was standing in the back of the room, and a friend of mine came over and asked me how it was going and talked to me for a moment and put his hand on my back and said, let me pray for you. And it made a difference. We can apply this in the context of our family, of our home. You could use that with your spouse or your children. You know, I was thinking, if you're in a marriage and you, let's, you're not at like a 9 or 10 level of disruption in your marriage where you really are in crisis, but you're at kind of a 2 or 3 level of sort of marital strife, you know what I mean? Anybody? Okay, you don't have to admit that. But if you are, let's just say it would actually happen to somebody here. I think you could change that with this. I think you could say to your spouse now and then, hey, can I just pray for you right now? And pray for them. And, and I think it would, it would make a big difference. Had a bad day at work today. and s- Some of us so-and-so just did this and that. And I, Let me just pray for you right now. You could do this with your kids. A few weeks ago, One of my kids uh, sent me a text message and had a bad day. And I typed out a little prayer and sent it back in a text message. Think about that for a minute. Makes a difference. You could do this in your neighborhood. 
talking to the old guy across the street. He's wheeling his trash can out for trash day. How's it going, Bob? Oh, not so good. Can I pray for you right now? You could do this at school, at work, with your best friend, or with a random stranger that you've never met before. And those, to me, are the most fun, frankly. I, uh, I've shared a couple stories with you in the past few weeks about my experiences at the airport and at the hospital. And I shared those intentionally, not to let you know what a great and spiritual person I am, but frankly, to let you know that if I can do it, anybody can do it. And it's not that hard to enter a conversation with somebody and have them begin to share a little bit of what's happening in their life and to stop and say, can I pray for you right now? I would love to do a survey on this and just see what percentage of people refused. My guess is if we all did this and we were able to rack up four or 500 opportunities to pray, that it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 1% or 2% might say no thank you that the overwhelming vast majority would say, okay. My experience with both of the people I prayed with was incredible gratitude. And I really do think it will radicalize your Christian life. I really do. I really mean that. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I really mean it. To just begin to, with eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to feel and hands to help, just to say, can I pray for you right now? It does encompass the entire sort of litany of vineyard values because it isn't a compassionate thing. And it really is calling upon the kingdom of God to come to bear on that person's life. It it really can bring reconciliation. It it really can tear down barriers. If we're sensitive, sensitive enough to utilize a language that the person will understand. And I would encourage you to not pray in any big spiritual words that you might know, but just ditch those and just say normal stuff. It, it really does embrace all five of those vineyard values. And I really do think it, it, it causes us uh, to become a blessing to the community around us and to those that we interact with on a regular basis. So... After six weeks of teaching, of going over lots of scripture about vineyard values, all I really want you to remember is, can I pray for you right now? If you are so bold as to incorporate that into your life and you have a story, I'd love to hear it. You can call me, email me. I might ask you to share up front, but you don't have to. Why don't we stand? Jess, you want to come up? Um, Let's just take a few minutes before we go tonight and pray for one another.